Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and this is a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. And today I have got Jeanette Borgelotto in to have a chat to me. Thanks for coming in, Jeanette. I appreciate your time. Great to be here. I think we're going to have a really cool conversation today. So for those that don't know you, tell me a bit about yourself. Um, well, recently I, or currently I'm coaching at Northern Golf Club um, and I've been there for just over 12 months at the moment. Um, previously I was at Heidelberg Golf Club. I worked in the pro shop there for I think it was about 10 years before that. Um, fin- or did my traineeship there at Heidelberg. Um, since I finished my traineeship, I've sort of been out at Northern Golf Club, which I've been really enjoying that because there's a real um, push to try and get women at the golf club and to have women more involved in golf. So as far as my role goes, it's um, trying to promote women's golf and to get more access to the facilities there. So it's been really great to be a part of that involvement and um, I know a lot of the ladies are really keen to try and grow their membership there so for me that's been fantastic as um as a woman coach but also do a lot of coaching with males as well and I do all the junior program out there as well so working with all the kids um have about about 40 to 50 kids I think at the moment out there wow yeah so that keeps me pretty busy Sundays are usually pretty full-on with um clinics nearly all day for the kids so it's been a big, big program out there. But um, Heath Benstead, who's in charge of the coaching out there, is great. He's got about, I think there's about five of us that coach out there. So um, it's sort of a little bit of a hidden, hidden gym, gem, sorry, in that area. Um, so yeah, enjoying that. Um, before that, I played a lot of amateur golf. Um, I turned originally turned pro in. Um, 2013 Um, and then after a couple of years of trying to make money out of it I ended up deciding to do a traineeship which is where I really wanted to go because I just love the coaching side of it and being involved with people and and that side so um, that's probably been the biggest thing for me to do um, to do the traineeship especially when you've got two teenage kids and a family to look after as well, but um, the rewards are starting to come through now, which is great. That's cool. There's so many things in there that I've, I'm keen to discuss with you and go through. But um, let's let's start back when you were still playing amateur golf um, prior to turning professional. You had a pretty decent amateur career out there, so certainly used to pop up when I saw tournament results in Victoria. Um, so tell me about that. Tell me about wh- what state um, coaching was like back then. What what was the state team experience like? Um, yeah, well, probably I was probably one of the older people involved. Uh, there was a lot of kids that were coming through um, when I first got into the state team. You know, um, there was um, a few kids coming through in the um, – what was the academy then, the Victorian – I can't think of the name of it now. Institute of Sport Program back then or was it – Yeah, yeah. So the VIS, sorry. Yeah, the VIS and the AIS program. So the AIS was um, basically kids from other states that stayed in-house and the VIS was more kids from obviously that were in state teams and that. But uh, due to my age (laughs) – Unfortunately, I didn't make the VIS, but um, but with Dennis McDade, who was the state coach, um, he actually welcomed me quite a bit, and I actually got to spend a lot of and do a lot of practices with the state team, um, as well with the VIS, I should say, um, and with Dennis McDade. So he was just really starting out then as a as a coach. Um, so that was great. I I had. I think three or four years in the state team. So um, that was great. I was a member at Yarra Yarra at that stage. Um, And in those days, I had to really go down to one of the Sandbelt courses to really be eligible to get into a state team because being from what we call a clay course, which is Heidelberg, 
Yeah. Uh, yep. It really wasn't recognised um, for the competition and that sort of thing, and and you had to really be playing at the top level of pennant to be able to get into a state team. So I made the move, and then um, and then things sort of fell into place after that. So, which was great. So I got the experience of playing on all the sandbelt courses, and obviously. Um, tournaments um being part of the state team got to travel interstate and play different tournaments australian opens vic opens all that sort of thing so which was great it it seems strange that they didn't put you into those um institute type programs just because of your age i think that's a really weird way to go about it if you're good enough player to be involved with those programs you would think they'd put you into those programs yeah look i think at the at my time, I think it was just really starting out and they were looking for to try and develop players that were probably had potential. So I was probably in a strange category where I was a little bit older and probably a little bit more established. So as I said, um, Dennis was great. He sort of involved me with um, if, you know, if we went and played at a course and they were doing some sort of – um, training or anything like that, then I was able to go with them and plays, uh, play amongst them and that sort of thing. So um, being part of the state squad. So, um, But, look, if there was uh, – like if they were doing gym sessions and that, occasionally I would go and do a gym session, but um, I had to w- – obviously I had to work part-time as well. So there was always that sort of thing as well that came into it. But um, – yeah, look, I I was very lucky. Um, I don't I don't consider myself unlucky, um, but you know you you wonder, like I wonder now where some of those kids are that went through that system because yeah. I don't see them at all still playing golf, and that's in my point of view that's disappointing that you you don't still see them out there playing and um, being part of the golf scene and and probably giving back to golf. Because um, at that time, you know, there was a lot of money spent on sending all of us into state to play and things like that. And uh, I know a few of them have turned pro, but a lot of them have sort of disappeared as well. So it's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, it is. And I, I know of, a, of a two of them that went through. I grew up with um, Tori O'Connor playing junior golf, and she was in the AIS program and also with Lindsay Wright as well. So she's an Aubrey girl. So she was a junior at the club when I was a trainee a long time ago. So um, she, she obviously played in the, in the States as well, but uh, I think she's nursing now of all things. So it's something different. Yeah, I caught up because I was good friends with Lindsay actually because yeah. we played in the same state teams together. And, um, yeah, the last time I spoke to her, I think she was trying – yeah, I was – Nurse, I think it was nursing, yeah, that she was trying to get into. So she got totally out of, had had enough, I think, and got totally out of the golf scene. So yeah, I am. I'm. She's on my short list to come on the podcast. So if you're out there listening, Lindsay, I'm. I'm trying to hunt you down to come and have a chat to me. So hopefully she will at some stage. I'm sure she's got some funny stories to tell you. <laughs> I'm sure she has. <laughs> So talk me through a typical training session back then in the, with the state squad. So you, you spoke about doing some fitness stuff, which probably wasn't that common back then I would have wouldn't have thought but was it all was it all on course stuff was there range stuff took me through a typical training session yeah look the the state team then was um they were just sort of getting into um training and that sort of I know um even one state series we went to Western Australia and um, that was one when Dennis was the coach there and and they were actually doing it, getting us to do um, ice baths and things, and and all the other teams were just like laughing at us because <laughs> it was freezing cold. Yeah, <laughs> and um, they were making us jump in the pool and then jump out of the pool and get into the spa. And um, all the other teams were in the courtyard, and they're all yelling from their balconies and just making fun <laughs> of us. But <laughs> there was some funny things like that. But um, yeah, there was some. Some things that probably are more just common practice now that um, was just starting to come into um, practice sessions. Uh, probably a typical practice session was um, probably working on distance control um, and trying to um, work on your short game a lot more. I, I don't think that we did a lot of 
long game sort of training. It was more working on um, around the green and bunkers and and definitely putting and that sort of thing. So there was a lot more emphasis on that as um, as a state team. And I, I suppose that when you get to that level too, um, a lot of your long game or your swing has already been developed. So at that stage, I suppose as a coach, you can't change a lot of things with a player, but um, I'm not sure how much emphasis is on that these days, but I think that um, there's a lot more put on, um, you know, understanding your own body and and obviously being in, being able to um, be a lot fitter and that sort of thing now, I suppose, than what there was in my day. Um, yeah. <laughs> We did sure. we did a little bit of weight training and that, but um, I think now it's more on um, you know flexibility than it is on um, pure you know weight training and things like that. Well, it's, it's probably gone a bit bit full circle. I think probably back then I was I grew up in that weight when they, when you first started doing training in the gym was all about being flexible and you weren't doing heavy weights. But um, Scotty, who comes on this podcast every every second or third week and has a chat, he's a fitness guy at the PGA, and it is all about heavy lifting. They it is about getting stronger. So um, it's I, I think as we start to understand more about how we work as, as golfers, um, they get a bit more scientific with, with the actual training. So were you getting any other coaching apart from the coaching you were getting through the state squad? Um, yeah, when I was in the state squad, um, my coach then was Jane Locke. Okay. Uh, yep, who obviously is uh, close to home here. But um, uh, I found Jane really good because she helped me mentally um, – probably more than um, swing mechanics but um, definitely she um, helped me you know become a stronger well stronger mentally um, you know there was times where I used we used to go to Q golf club and I don't think I ever beat her because she could just play any shot you know around a tree under a under trees anything she was amazing amazing so and the shots she just pulled out were just you know I only wish I could have been as good as that, but um, I, I can't imagine how good she would have been in her day. But um, as a coach and mentally, the mental training was fantastic. So, and I, I, I still believe that's why um, match play. I've always been a very good match player, and I think that comes from that just being able to tough it out and and mentally be tough in the situations when you're under a lot of pressure. Yeah, it, um, it certainly takes a certain type of golfer to be good at match play. I think it's um, it's a different type of golf, isn't it? So, it's, oh, definitely. Um, you know, when when you've got to pull out that shot, and um, you know when it's needed, and to be able to push everything else out of your mind and just give that one shot that one hundred percent, it's um, it's totally rewarding when it comes off, and it can be pretty demoralising when it doesn't. <laughs> Very, very true. Very, (laughs) very true. Yep. Okay, so state golf and then turn turn pro. So obviously you're not the 22-year-old typical person going out and turning pro. What was the the thought process behind turning pro and giving it a crack? Uh, Well, you know, by then I'd had two kids and I probably felt that I probably should have turned pro um, after my – sort of amateur career, playing tournaments and that sort of thing. But um, obviously family got in the way. But um, I, I How think... dare they get in the way like that? <laughs> <laughs> but um, – and look, I love them to death now. But um, at that time, you know, I made a choice. It was either family or it was golf and I decided family to go down the family track. But um, I just thought, look, I'd give it a go and see and um, turn – Pro joined the ALPG um, and then went and played some tournaments up in New South Wales, which were sort of like a pro-am series up there, travelling around a bit um, just to get a feel for it and just realised that um, how hard it was to be away from the family but also just the cost that was involved um, with the travelling and, and trying to play and, and trying to perform um, you know, at each pro am and and all that stuff. It's it's 
it's probably more involved than being a job because you're trying to train as well and trying to keep that swing going and and trying to perform at the same time. So, yeah, I found it really difficult and just in the end just wanted to get home and see the family and get back to some normality. So that's when after probably about two years I came home and then decided to do a traineeship so to get into the coaching side. Yeah, it is, it is crazy expensive. I, I recall talking to Lindsay again about what it cost her to play on the LPJ tour at the time. And this was 2008 when I was in Taiwan. And two and a half K, I think, a week is what she said her expenses were at the time. So hotels and obviously when we're playing in Australia, we don't spend that kind of money. But even even just travelling around here, it's it, it's an expensive pastime. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was getting close to almost a 1000 a week because you're paying a caddy and you've got to pay – all your meals and your caddy's meals and it was just, yeah, it was a pretty expensive thing to do um, and obviously, you know, I had to come back and work as well so you're trying to go back and forth and um, unfortunately there wasn't any events down here at that time. Most of them were in New South Wales and Queensland so there was a lot of travelling and, and a lot of, you know, motels and trying to get somewhere to stay if you weren't in a motel and and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's a dream job, but um, it's not lonely always. Job. Yeah, and it's a lonely job. That's right. So, yeah, but look, you know, as you, as I said, it was something that I sort of thought that maybe I missed it, missed my opportunity to do it earlier, but um, but haven't regretted it anyway because going down the trainee track, um, I've sort of ended up in a career that. Um, is very fulfilling and, and really enjoying it. So that, that side of it's been good. Oh, that's cool. So, so talk me through the trainee program. Again, stuck around stupid 20-something-year-old guys in the trainee <laughs> program would have been an experience for you as we are well um, conscious of. They're, it's just strange characters that go through that program. So talk me through how you found the trainee program. Yeah, well, you true. Like some of them, my, at that time, my daughter was doing her VCE, so I felt like some of the kids were could probably relate <laughs> more to my daughter than what they could to me, and they probably treated me a little bit like their mum sometimes. <laughs> but um, but look, I always um, worked in you know customer relations and all that sort of thing. So I, I didn't find it as hard as what I thought. Um, and, and it took me a little while just to get used to getting back into tournament playing. Um, it took me a few tournaments to sort of get used to what sort of scores were expected and, and how to just sort of churn out the scores each week um, and that sort of thing as well as trying to work full-time and and um, do the other things that were required as well. So it, it took me probably about a month just to um, – find find my way if you like um but the guys and and every everyone that I met who was a trainee you know um I never probably met someone that I didn't like which is great but um and found that everyone was supporting within the PGA traineeship as well which is great well that's always nice to hear there was a few trainees through that through your time that I've Probably didn't like too much, handing <laughs> in some of their work. But no, that's that's a completely different topic. But yeah, um, yeah. the females in the program traditionally do much better work or quality of work when they're submitting assignments. So they're certainly much easier to deal with as a general rule. Um, some of the twenty-something-year-old boys are a bit of a, a problem, as a or can Actually- be. I actually found that the hardest part is getting back into the um, doing assignments and things like that because I'd been out of it or out of any schooling for such a long period of time um, that, yeah, trying to get my head around doing assignments and, um, you know, getting them done on a certain time and all that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm sure there was a few assignments that went in a few minutes before midnight on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there wasn't too many of those for you. I'm sure you were, you were cruising through that. I'm I, having a similar experience trying to do homeschooling with my grade six my grade six son at the moment, trying to go back through what I learnt in grade six to help him with his schoolwork. It's a challenging space after you haven't done that for a long time. It's hard. I know, I know. Yeah, I've still got one doing homeschooling. The other one's doing uni at home, but. Um, 
Yeah, look, I don't even don't even try to attempt the maths or anything <laughs> these days because it's they just do it totally different. We end up with the same answer, but they don't do it the same way. We used yeah, to do they. It. I always try and copy how he's been taught from his teachers, but sometimes it's easier to show him how I did it back when I was in school, and he seems to get it. So it's it's all good. It's all good. So you did the trainee program to focus on coaching. Which is which is really cool. So, what were the first steps you took when you first got out of the program to start to get your coaching up and going? Yeah, I suppose that's the biggest step because you step out of the traineeship and you sort of think, oh wow, you know, where do where do I go from here? Um, but my, I sort of had in mind that my whole goal was going to be just to coach. I didn't want to be um, someone that was stuck behind the counter in a pro shop. Um, and spend most of my time in the pro shop. I'd, I'd done this for a reason. So I sort of put myself out there and said that um, I was only available to to coach. Um, and at that time, um, there was a few things going on at Heidelberg and I sort of, um, they offered me to run the pro shop there, but I just didn't want, I didn't want to be sort of hemmed in doing that because I knew that it would give me no time to sort of pursue the coaching side of it. So um, I was lucky enough that I'd been speaking with Heath and he offered me a coaching job out there. So I've taken taken that up. So yeah, look, it's not, I don't do it five days a week because I think that would burn myself out. Um, at the moment, I'm doing about three, three and a half days, which is perfect and, and fits in exactly where I want it with the family life and and being home enough to uh, do the things that, you know, mums have to do at home. Yep. So make sure that there's washing every day and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Come on, if your kids are doing great in, in, in those higher grades, they should be doing their own washing, shouldn't they? Oh, no. No, they'll no? just be putting the same things on every day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me at the same age, so that, that's all good. So talk me through some of the programs that you've set up out there. You've obviously taken a bit of a keen interest in that coaching and set up some programs. Talk me through how you've set those programs up. Um, yeah, at the moment we're with the women's program, we've got um, women's beginner programs um, and get into golf. So we've been using the um, Golf Australia website to promote our get into golf um as well as sort of promoting sort of beginner's golf. So Sundays I do a 9 o'clock and a 10 o'clock clinic um, and I have anywhere. I try to keep it to sort of 6 to 8, but sometimes I end up with about 10 in each of those clinics. So it, get, it can get pretty big, um, but I try to make that more an open sort of clinic because you can get anyone who's just starting to anyone who's been there for, you know, three or four months. Um I find with the women, they're a little bit more apprehensive about going out and actually playing on the course before having or thinking that they have to be at a certain level before they actually go out and start playing golf. So sometimes you can have someone come to a clinic for almost 12 months before they take that first step to get out on the golf course. So Okay. Just just, just quickly on that, how do, you, how do you cope with that? Do you tend to – tell them that they have to get out and start playing or do you take them out there yourself a couple of times? Because I've come across similar things. It can be challenging to yeah, get is, those starters onto the golf course. Yeah, and, and just trying to give them confidence enough that they feel that they're able to get out there. Um, some of them have gone out and tried to play and then they say that, you know, someone, you know, you know, they get people come up behind them and then they're sort of pushing them and they sort of yell at them because they're taking too much time and and all those sorts of things that you hear as a coach, which is really disappointing because, um, you know, you, you're trying to encourage people to get out there and play and and anything negative can turn someone off so quickly. So it is disappointing when you hear those sort of things and um, thank goodness that doesn't ho- happen at um, the course that I'm at. But um, what I do do is after – everyone's done about five clinics with me. I do try to promote my on-course, which we do, um, which we go out and we play for about an hour and a half and we try and get as many holes in as we can and we just go through a little bit of etiquette and just get everyone to sort of hit a shot, then they pick up their ball, we all go to the same spot, we go across the fairway and everyone hits it once 
um, just so that there's no one in front or behind that sort of thing. But it just gets them out there and understanding how to play the golf course and understanding that it's not as hard as what they think out there on the golf course and it's just about moving and, you know, if you, you've had too many shots or you had about eight or nine shots and pick up and then just move on to the next hole. So trying to make it as easy as you can for them. I completely agree. I think it's it's hard, it's it's important to to stress to them that there's probably golfers out there that played that been playing for twenty years. They're probably worse than them just starting out. So just encouraging them to get out there. And it's it is it would be frustrating to have people at your club that are being uh, rude to potential golfers out there. It just it just makes no sense to me whatsoever that someone's out there saying, Oh, hurry up or get out of the way type of stuff. It's just crazy. You would think things have changed by now, but obviously they haven't. Yeah, a few that happened at public course, so a few of them have told me some experiences like that. So I tried to send them to some of the um like the par three courses, which are great for women to start on. Um it gives them the opportunity. There's not a lot of people around and it's um gives them the opportunity to actually score a little bit better before they get started. So um, that's sort of been great. I have tried playing on shorter tees but um, found that they actually enjoy playing off the proper tees more just because, if you know, obviously down the track they're going to be playing from those sort of spots. So they're, they're trying to probably, um, you know, challenge themselves a little bit more. So, yeah. But, look, it's about – not trying to stick to the one rule all the time and, and to um, change things up. And, and I find that with juniors as well as if if you do the same thing every week, everyone's going to get bored. So you've got to change things up and, and um, you know, think on your feet if you like and come up with different ideas to do and, and that so that it makes it interesting for them but also interesting for yourself because you don't want to be doing the same thing, you know, every clinic that you have. Completely agree, completely agree. So speaking about juniors, you said you had a big junior program there, 50-odd kids. Is that – or talk me through the structure of your junior program. Do you have them as a big group of 50 kids? Do you have them at certain times coming in or how do you set your junior coaching up? Yeah, look, at the moment I've got different levels. So I start with an all-girls sort of like on a 12.30 on a – Sunday and then I start with the different levels. So then I go 130 level one and then I'll have a level two, a level three, and then I have an advanced level. So um, getting into daylight savings, um, the advanced level is more we just sort of warm up on the range and then we go out on the course. So, um, again, that's about the kids that you're trying to get to join as members um, down the track. So obviously – we're trying to get them to a level where they can go out and play golf and they understand what the, you know, the etiquette is and, and about moving on the golf course and not spending too much time looking for their balls. It's gone two fairways over, uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's um, it's been good. I, I've always loved doing, as a even as a trainee, I loved doing the juniors. I was sort of running um, with some of the other trainees. I was running the junior program at Heidelberg, which I really loved. and. Um, and changing that up. I sort of got involved with the US Kids program. Um, I was running their tournaments here in Melbourne for a little while. Um, that was before COVID started. Um, and and just getting kids involved, is, I think, is important as much as getting women involved in golf, giving them the opportunity to learn the game when they're young, just even if they drop it and they don't play straight away, they'll come back to it later in life, I think. It sounds like you've found that little little key key spot that you're fitting yourself in as a coach, so those, getting those golfers started and getting them into, into the game. Is there a pathway that you've set up to get them to join the club where you're at or is, it, is, it, is there a formalised pathway apart from just progressing through the actual junior program or the women's program? Yeah, look, um, the pathway we do have a uh, special membership out at um, for the women out at northern um, which has been um, really great for some of them to get started but um, we are trying to find that um, that link between the clinics and which is what the on course is and we're trying to get uh, make a time on a Saturday afternoon after all the men have finished teeing off 
uh, you know, around about that 3.30 time to get more women out on the course um, and giving them the opportunity to actually play because the more that we can get them playing on the course, the more opportunity you've got to get them to join as a member because then if they're playing on your course, they feel more comfortable with the environment they're in and obviously being able to attract them to the club you know, you've got your facilities there that can always, um, you know, that they'll enjoy and feel comfortable in. So the more that you can get um, from clinics, get them out on the golf course, I think the more opportunity you've got them to join as a member. So we do, we're just about to start that, but unfortunately COVID kicked in. Um, yeah, so that's screwed sort of put a few a things up, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But that's what we see as the um, stepping stone between the ladies. With the the kids, we do have a um, junior membership that they can jump into. Pretty similar. We've, we've blocked off a time off the tee on a Saturday um, and we'll get one of the, whether it's myself or one of the trainees, to walk around with them and just teach them a little bit about etiquette and how, how they can get a handicap and we can get them started sort of in that program so um so we are looking at pathways from you know from the my golf sort of clinics that we're doing out there to then you know getting them out on the course getting them to join as members which is where where you want them to go yeah for sure do you do you have any trouble getting helpers for the junior program or you do you any pushback from the club about having the that many kids around the club or is it encouraged out there no, it's pretty good. Um, I try not to interfere. We haven't got a huge, um, even though we've got a great practice facility out there. I don't know if you've been out there, Brent. No, but, I haven't for a long time. Yeah, so that we've got a fairly good practice fairway area. We've got a practice bunker. We've also got a huge chipping green and putting green out there now. But um, So, look, if there's a lot of people on the range, we'll try and – and this is where you've got to think on your feet. We'll probably spend a bit more time doing a few more games around the chipping green and putting area. Um, and then, you know, when the range is free, we can jump on there and, and do what we want. We could, You can probably fit about 15 people across the range. Um, so that's why I try to have all the kids in different levels so we haven't got too much in each class. Um, at the moment, I'm sort of doing Sunday by myself, but I've got one of the, one of the other trainees, Brian uh, Milligan, who's out there. He does Tuesday night for me and... Um, and looking down the track, we're starting Friday nights, which will be trying to get the kids out on the course as well. So nice. um, so there's plenty of opportunity for kids out there to sort of get started. And we have got a primary school straight across on the opposite corner to us. So we're looking at trying to get some of the schools more involved, so getting that younger age kids sort of coming through as well. Sounds really cool. Sounds like you've got a good plan there moving forward to keep to keep those golfers coming through. So, so you said earlier on about a junior session shouldn't be the same thing over and over again. So, talk me through a typical junior session that you're coaching at the moment. Yeah, look, I try and divide it up so we're not just stuck on the range doing stuff for the whole session. So, definitely with the juniors, um, you know, you, you try to keep it. If you've got an hour session, you're trying to do sort of 20, 20, 20. So we try to do like um, I'll set up games on the um, putting green beforehand um, and the same with chipping. So you're trying to put circles around a hole or, you know, have a sort of a tic-tac-toe sort of setup where they can chip into that and have different challenges and, and put them in teams and sort of make them make it more of a game situation. Um but even just, you know, like some of the things that are popular is just, um, you know, putting numbers out and having them putting and sort of put rope around holes and having them just putt within the, in the rope and they have to score like under 10 for four holes if they're putting to them and just make them different lengths and different sort of angles and see how they go. Um, and on the range, you know, you can, you can do anything on the range. You can put, um, you know things out that they can aim for. Uh, they definitely love it when the range boy goes out and they've got something to aim for. <laughs> Target <laughs> so, practice. So, yep. you know, it's a chalky bar if anyone hits the range cart. So <laughs> all those sorts of things, yeah. 
I used to drive that range cart when I was a kid. That was my first job was picking up range balls. And I know for a fact that if I was on the on the bike picking the balls up, everyone else who was working that day was aiming for me and vice versa. If I was at the top of the range and they were picking the balls up, I was aiming for them as well. So oh, Don't worry. I've been in that cart and it scares the hell out of you. When, when it <laughs> it's so loud when it yeah. hits. It's just a, just a, a crazy, crazy noise when, the, when, 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 it, when you do get hit by it. So, no, that's really cool. So it sounds like you're flat out with other pro with all those types of programs. Is there any other coaching that you're doing out there at the moment? What other programs are you running? Um, well, doing individual lessons as well. Um, get a lot of the women out there, but also got a lot of um, clients that I've brought from obviously Heidelberg and, and some of the other courses I've been at. But, um, yeah, look, um, the other the other thing I was doing over summer was I was doing short game um, clinics. So, and the other thing that I um, say to the women is that if um, if they get four people together, we go out and do on course. So I take a group out and do on course lessons because I always say that you can probably make up more shots for a person out on course than what you can trying to change their swing um, because it takes a lot longer to do swing changes. Um, whereas I could teach someone to play, you know, a different sort of shot out of the bunker or to um, get up and down from around the green as all those different shots and things that, um, you know, that aren't good in their game and they can make up shots a lot quickly or a lot quicker like that. No, so no. I enjoy I enjoy that side of it as well. That makes sense. If, um, if you're tuning into the episode before yours, Paul... Williamson, I had him on the show just before you, and he spoke exactly like that. He's a heap of on course coaching, and that's where he sees the the quickest improvement for his students is um because they just make stupid choices out there. They yeah. don't, and ch- changing swing technique takes time. But if you can get them on the golf course and get them to play a bit smarter and um, choose some good targets, they can improve their scores pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of them it's just um, bad, as you say, but it's bad decision-making when they're out there. It's, um, you know, trying to chip it when really at their level they're probably better to putt. So, you know, it's not always um, just because you see the pros doing it doesn't mean that you should be doing it, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree there. So you said you got involved with US Kids Golf. What was it that attracted you to that program? Um, I sort of started um, looking at how I could um, improve my junior program at Heidelberg at that time and um, this is when I was doing the traineeship and and I um, came across their program and saw that they had um, little booklets actually because I was looking at how I could give something to the kids for, um, you know, when they come to the program and this is what we're going to work on and you know, this is what is expected of you and and came across the US Kids Program which had these booklets and little badge system. And um, so I gave it a bit of a go at Heidelberg just to see how it went and more than anything, the kids loved the badges because, you know, there's a badge for short game, one for long game and they had to, in each level, they have to do certain things to achieve it and, you know, each week it might be um, we spent 10 minutes at the end of the session and they have to improve themselves to be able to get that badge so they used to get pretty chuffed about winning the badges and going up to different levels and all that sort of stuff so um, that's how originally I got involved in it and um, and they had a seminar here um, oh it must have been a couple of years ago now and um, I went to that and learned how to be a how to do the coaching side of it and that sort of thing so If anything, you know, I've taken a bit of that and a bit of my golf and sort of, I suppose, melted it into my own way of teaching the kids. So I wouldn't say that it was um, all about US kids, but I've used my golf as well um, and used some of the things that they have as well and sort of blended it into my own sort of junior coaching, if you like, yeah. I think that's a, that's a cool cool idea and cool strategy. I certainly do similar stuff with my son who plays every sport except golf. So um, I've got just about every community instructor, um, community type coach accreditation going around. I think I've got soccer, basketball, volleyball, 
AFL, all these different ones that I've, that I've done to him so I can help out at his sports. And you pick up ideas from other sports and you take a bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of that and you get your own program going. And that's, that's a really cool idea. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, it's sort of as much as you're sort of using different programs, you're blending it into your own style of coaching and, and keeping the kids occupied and, and happy, I suppose, so that they keep coming back because – um, you have them for a term, but if it gets, you know, you, if it gets boring, they're not going to come back next term. So, how can you keep them engaged and um, wanting to come back each week, or even to want to come back next term? So that's all part of it. And I think um, having different levels and having achievements that they can actually get and show their parents is a big part of it. They all get excited, um, and they they're all pretty good. The kids are all pretty good and they always want to come in and get the chocolate bar at the end. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big incentive. But It is. Uh, <laughs> it always is. Always but yeah, has no, been. <laughs> yeah. But always loved coaching. Um, as you say, I, I did um, some coaching, netball coaching. I was actually working at a school early on doing um, doing some hockey coaching actually. So I've actually coached netball, hockey in kids and now – you know golf so it's it's not hard some people don't like working with kids but um I find it quite easy I'm not sure whether that's just because I've got my own kids but I've always found it easier to keep to coach kids and sometimes trying to keep adults more occupied so (laughs) yeah well speaking quickly about that how do you how do you handle the parents when it comes to your junior program um yeah look uh, I, I use communication. I use app on a phone to communicate with the parents. Um, but also I make it sort of like very easy for the for the parents to communicate with me. I haven't got a problem with the parents uh, being there as long as – and what I say to the parents is um, you're most welcome to stay there during the lesson, but if you're going to coach your own kids or you're going to have something to say, it has to be – what I'm trying to enforce so that you're not saying something different to what I'm trying to teach them. Um, And so, therefore, sometimes it's better when the parents are sort of in the background, obviously not like right in front of the the kids, but um, if you can... (laughs) If you can get the parents to be on the same same wavelength as you, um, it's a lot easier to communicate the same message rather than the kids getting a different message from the parents as soon as they get home, sort of thing. So no, that makes sense. It is. It is. It's a hard space to be involved with because the parents generally have a heap more pull as their parents than you do as the coach. So if you tell them something and the parent tells them something else, they can certainly be going down the wrong path, so to speak. And and you always have that parent that sort of tries to sort of interfere and tell the kid to keep their head down, you know, the usual thing. <laughs> um, but what I normally do is um, those sort of parents, I sort of pull them aside and at the end of the lesson I say, look, this is what we spoke about today and this is what I'm trying to get your son to do or your daughter to do. Um, you know, it would be great if you could help out by giving them the same message so that we're not um, conflicting and the child, you know, will then benefit from that. So, communication is key, as you said. I think that's a it's a really cool um, thing to to have in your mind if you if you are going to do junior programs or any sort of coaching. Is just make sure those communication lines are open between you and the and the parents. Really good advice. So, Jeanette, I've got five questions that I like to ask everybody as we okay. go through the podcast. I'm going to throw those at you now just to put you on the spot to finish off. Okay. Um, so for someone starting out coaching, what tips would you have for that one, for those people just starting out? Just starting out, um, probably try and have some sort of idea of what you want to do with your coaching. I think the hardest thing um, – which I see with a lot of the trainees is they get to where they finish their traineeship and then they're sort of in this wilderness where they don't really, well, they're not really convinced about their own ability and and where they want to get to. And I think that they sort of get a little bit lost in the system, if you like, as in they don't sort of back themselves up and, and believe in themselves as a coach. So there's no reason why you can't, you know, like I did, 
turn around and say, I want to be a full-time coach when you first come out of the traineeship. So I think just believe in yourself, if anything. Yeah, no, that's, believe that, in the way you do it. That is pretty good advice. I'm having a bit of a series at the moment in the podcast that people that have just come out of the trainee program and are doing really, really well. So you'll see a few um, shows come out with those types of people that have just come straight out of the trainee program and gone on and coaching full-time and doing some really good stuff out there. So hence the phone call to yourself to get you on the on the, um, on the the podcast as well because you're obviously only a fairly recent graduate and you're doing great things out there. So that is good advice. Um, what about some tips for the golfers out there? What would you tell the average player out there to be doing with their golf? Uh, probably just... Uh, work on your short game, if anything. I think, um, as as I mentioned before, um, you know, to change to change your swing takes a long time to sort of change a lot of things in the swing. Um, what I find is if people want to improve quickly, you're better off to be working on, you know, around the green and putting to improve um, than you are trying to do a lot of big swing changes. Um I think I mentioned this before, but, you know, to do big swing changes, you've got to put time and effort in and, and a lot of practice, and not everyone has that time. Certainly if you have got the time to do it and you're really um, committed and want to improve a lot, then, yes, you've got to sort of go down that track. But I think um, short game, not enough people spend enough time on short game, I think. Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty common, common, common theme that's coming through when I ask that question of coaches is spend some time on that, uh, that those scoring shots. Um, yeah, it is certainly a a space in the in the the average player's game that they waste shots. So certainly good advice there. Uh, is there anything that you would change in your your golf journey? Uh, probably, probably not a lot. Um, it's you learn by experience, um, and I think sometimes you have to have um, not necessarily bad experiences, but um, sometimes you have to earn something to make it worthwhile. And I found that over the journey is that um, I think we talked about the VIS and all that early on, but um, I probably had to work a bit harder than some of those kids that were in the VIS and that sort of thing. So. For me, my journey's probably been a little bit longer because I've been more involved in it. Um, definitely in pennant, I've played pennant for many, many years and been lucky enough to even play as a PGA member in pennant as well, but certainly at the end of my career now as far as pennant goes. But, <laughs> um, yeah, look, uh, there's not too many things I'd take back. Um, maybe the only thing, as I mentioned before, would be that um, – Probably that opportunity, I, I probably should have taken that step to turn pro and given it a go before I had the family. But um, just saw a lot of people that were struggling, you know, and I knew Lindsay Wright and a few of the other girls and really struggled on that pro scene overseas. So I just thought that, yeah, it probably wasn't the, the thing for me. So completely makes sense and that's that's um yeah completely valid valid answers there so where do you see yourself in five years time uh look hopefully still coaching um definitely enjoy being out at northern and the team out there um but definitely i would love to still be involved with junior coaching and and involved with women's coaching i think um there's still a great opportunity there um and most golf clubs know that to tap into trying to get more women to play golf um, and to try and involve them in and, and certainly um, trying to make it more a social thing for women and, and for them to understand that as much as it's a sport, it's an opportunity for them to be social and to enjoy uh, their time at a golf club, if you like, and to be involved in it. Um, I think when you can get that message across, I think that we got the opportunity to get more women and more diverse sort of women as well, not just, um, you know, your typical golf member. We're looking for any age group now and and sort of, you know, anyone from any background. So hopefully in a few years' time we'll get you back on the podcast and we'll have a a – Kids program of two hundred kids and heaps, <laughs> heaps of starters, golfers out there as well. So no, it sounds like a really, really cool goal to have, which is great. 
So sources of further learning for you as a coach, where do you go to find your information about coaching and improving yourself in general? Uh, well, the PGA has been great. Um, certainly they're learning um, activities and, and webinars and all those sorts of things, as you know. <laughs> I've been involved a lot with that and always trying to learn and, and understand things more. Um, also, you know, YouTube and all those things, there's a lot of stuff out there at the moment, but um, there's a lot of bad stuff out there as well. <laughs> there is, there is. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, look, it's it's so much out there with um, all the different platforms now, and and um, you know, understanding how it works and the technology is is just it's a learning curve all the time. And and if you don't keep up with it, you sort of fall behind. So, as much as I'm doing a lot of the junior stuff, and that is is always something that you can learn from someone. And so that's my philosophy that, you know, there's always someone that will know something that will help you one day. True. So that's sort of the tack that I take. It's such a, a quickly changing space, isn't it, coaching in, in, in general? I think coaching strategies and coaching techniques are always changing. So I think staying on in front of the curve is a it, it's a challenging thing to actually do. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if you don't have your own website and you don't, you know, have your Instagram and your Facebook page and all those sorts of things, um, yeah, you sort of get left behind a little bit. So, um, and that and that's a learning curve in itself is when you finish a traineeship is to get all that sort of stuff um, set up and and on the go so that you, you know, people can communicate with you and you've got the opportunity to communicate with them. So. True. So speaking of socials, where can people find you if they're keen to get in touch and have a chat? Yeah. Um, so um, my website is at BGA Pro Shop JB Golf. I'll send it through to you. Yeah, I'll put some. Yeah, I'll put them in the, in the show notes for everybody to be able to click on. So yeah. you've got a site. Yeah, about social media seen- handles. Yep, and Facebook I'm on JB Golf and Instagram as well. So I'll send I'll send those through to you. Cool, and I will put those into the show notes for everybody so they can find you and follow you. I've got you on my own socials, and there's some good content coming out of there. So definitely encourage everyone to to go and take a look. Yeah, but also Northern Golf Club um, is linked to all my um, social sites as well as um, my website as well. So. Uh, there's quite a few places that you can contact me or even at my PGA website, uh, sorry, email. Sounds good. I will I will put all those links in into the show notes, everybody. So thank you so much for your time tonight, Jeanette. I certainly appreciate you coming in and talking to me. Really cool conversation tonight. No, thank you. It's been great. Thanks, Brent. And we'll catch up really, really soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks.